Hello and welcome to a special Queen's Birthday edition of The Briefing. Yeah. Do you know it's actually not the Queen's Birthday? No, I didn't know that. Today's not the Queen's Birthday. No. This is the day we have the celebration. Her birthday is on April 21. Why do we have it now? So I looked into this because I, I was wondering myself and the reason is it's basically because of the weather. 250 years ago, King George II, his birthday was in November. He's like, no one wants to have a party in November in England. Oh, right. It's cold. It's, right, yep. He's yep. like, let's do it in June when the sun's out. Right. And so they've stuck with that tradition since then. So someone just made up a date. Yeah, when the weather was likely to be better. Okay, that makes sense. Actually, someone said to me the other day that they didn't want Australia to become a republic because then we might have to lose the Queen's birthday long weekend. Yeah, but how much do you look forward to it? I do, to be honest, yeah. I just had a great one. Got to visit Mudgee, which was amazing. We are seven weeks into the briefing now, Jan. So for this episode today, we're going to reveal the top five most downloaded episodes by you, our listeners. Let's have a little listen to some of the key moments of the show so far. Hello and welcome to the first ever episode of The Briefing, a brand new daily news podcast, Annika Smithhurst in Canberra. We're going deep later on the show into your story. Yeah, it's a little bit confronting becoming the story. Jan Fran, she's going to be one of the regular co-hosts on The Briefing. Hello, Jan. Hello, Tom. I'm so excited. The great toilet paper fiasco of March <laughs> 2020. Jamila Rizvi, who's one of the co-hosts on The Briefing. This is her first show, but you are also a Kevin Rudd staffer. Oh, it's like you're uncovering it. It's not a dirty secret, but it's a secret of my youth. The first interview with a cabinet minister on the show, which is exciting. Dantian, thanks for joining us on The Briefing. A pleasure to be with you. Now let's talk to celebrity chef Colin Fastnage. We have a pub, so you can imagine after a few schooners, you're trying to tell someone to stay in this little square. It's not going to work, is it? <laughs> no. <laughs> And Jan Fran at work for the Rugby League, so why don't we get some fake crowd noise on our show? Thank you for the reception, Tom. Pleased to be here, everyone. <laughs> it's like we've been on air for years. I know. Reliving the highlights. Yeah, I love how we're reliving the highlights after seven weeks. Worth it, though. So we started on the 20th of April, and that was at the height of the COVID lockdown. Yeah, it wasn't too... Well, I want to say it wasn't too hard finding stories to report on because the story was coronavirus and coronavirus and then coronavirus. But it's been a ride. And I think now we're sort of starting to talk a little bit more about things that are not coronavirus, which has been quite nice. Yeah. Last week, the news was dominated by the race riots in America that then spread around the world, um, even to protests in Australia on Saturday. Um, so it's been a fascinating time in world history to start a daily news podcast. No doubt about it. No, sir. So let's start with the most downloaded episode so far. Who would have thought that an episode on a conspiracy theory would be the most downloaded episode of The Briefing? We are talking, of course, about the 5G conspiracy theory. Here's a few minutes of that show where we did this really illuminating interview with Professor Rodney Croft from the Australian Centre for Electromagnetic Bioeffects. At the heart of this debate is the concern that radio waves are harmful to our health. Is that true? Because I imagine if you stuck your head in a microwave, you'd have some problems. And at what levels are radio waves harmful? Yeah, look, you're absolutely right. If you use a microwave oven, we know we can cook things, we can do a lot of damage. And the electromagnetic uh, radiation coming from mobile phones, from 5G and so forth, is really the same as what we get from a microwave oven. So the issue is really to do with power. And microwave ovens have a really huge power, and that's why they're able to heat things a lot. 
whereas something like a mobile phone, the maximum it can really heat you to is about 0.1 degree, which is very small compared to the normal fluctuations we have. In principle, it can um, cause a lot of heating, but there are uh, very strict guidelines, and certainly here in Australia, they're enforced uh, to ensure that the levels are actually very low and far too low to actually hurt you at all. Look, some people are pretty upset about 5G technology, and one of the reactions has been to set the towers on fire, among other things. Um, By the sounds of it, the towers don't pose any greater risk than other towers we have in society. Is that right? That's exactly right. The The amount of energy, and look, old towers are exactly the same. What, what we've got are really, really low levels. In fact, the levels coming out of your tower are usually about 100 to 1,000 times lower than the uh, levels coming out of your phones. So if someone was, was concerned about it, the most sensible thing, I guess, would be to restrict the actual handset use, but the towers themselves have negligible electromagnetic radiation coming out of them. So it's, and and in fact, with some of the conspiracy theories that are, well, I call them conspiracy theories um, about, for instance, 5G and um, and coronavirus, some claiming that, uh, that 5G causes it. What you find, of course, is that there's no difference in coronavirus rates where there are 5G towers and there aren't. What about the theory that the radio waves can spread COVID-19? Any truth to that? No. Look, once we get to those kind of stories where we're really getting so far removed from science that it's a bit hard to to really answer it. It's, it's more like talking about, you know, saying, well, aliens have come in and given us COVID-19. <laughs> Look, anything is possible, but it's just there's absolutely no grounding. Um, radio waves cannot carry COVID-19. They, they can't carry any viruses. It's just not how they work. There you go. That was Professor Rodney Croft. Did that clear things up for you? Yeah. I mean, I I didn't really suspect that radio waves could spread COVID-19, but now (laughs) I know that it's entirely possible that aliens might. Who knows? More likely, potentially. (laughs) More likely. 5G. Do you know what that sort of illuminated for me was just how much information you actually need to have to be able to debunk these theories? Like how much specific scientific knowledge you need to have? I don't have that. I mean... Only the scientists that work in these fields would have that. And sometimes I think, you know, I stopped doing science in year 10 because my hair caught fire on a Bunsen burner. I was like, <laughs> I'm not coming back here. No, thanks. Stop doing science in year 10. Right. I don't really have too much of a brain for it. That's the truth. I'm a journalist and in a position to report. And I think sometimes we should have more journalists knowing a little bit more about the science, being trained in the science, maybe have science degrees and just be able to communicate that to the people a little bit better. Yeah, I found this episode fascinating partly for that reason, that science is so complicated. Mm. Um, It's also contested, which is sort of hard to get your head around. And there's so much coded language in the results. You know, things are always, always tested within a certain confidence interval, which is a way of acknowledging the doubt. But when it comes to doubt, the internet's so good at this. It provides very simple answers that match people's doubts compared to the complex answers that science provides. Yeah, and all you need to do is really just sow a seed, don't you? You know, just a small seed of doubt and that just spreads into something much bigger. Well, we're faced with a barrage of information that can really induce anxiety. We now, through the internet, are so aware of all the problems in the world and it's scary and it freaks a lot of people out. So you have these legitimate feelings of of fear, anxiety, 
um, sometimes depression when you, you look at what's going on around the world. So you, you want answers that match your feelings. Yeah. And on the internet, they're everywhere. They are. And yep. they're very simple. Yep. So compared to the complexity of actually understanding scientific results, that's where this gap opens up for conspiracy theories. Yeah, look, I think one of the, the best sort of things that I've seen, and this was actually an episode of um, Insight, which I'm not contractually obliged to spruik SBS, SBS anymore. Mm. Yeah, but here we are, where they had a group of, um, you know, climate deniers or climate sceptics, and they sat them in a room just with one scientist who was, you know, world-renowned, and they said, ask any question you want. And they did, and he just debunked every single one of those questions in this really clear, really calm manner, and you couldn't have left that forum without actually having learnt something really tangible and really important. And I think they did too. Did it change the way they felt, though? Because that's what a lot of this is about, emotion. Feeling, yeah, I don't know. I didn't ask them, to be fair. Okay, to the next story in our top five most downloaded episodes here on The Briefing. Um, This one sparked a lot of anger and a very interesting debate, an episode on online abuse and publicly shaming your harassers. Clementine Ford joins us now. Clem, thanks so much for um, being with us. What did the message say exactly? Well, firstly, I should say that it came randomly out of the blue. I've never had any interaction with this person before in my life, which is true for most of them. Uh, But he began by saying, just shut the f*** up, Clementine. Holy s***, you need to calm the f*** down. Women have rights. There's no need to put it out there all the time. Then he talked about some other things that was very difficult to decipher, uh, he said, maybe the world would be would be a better place if you stopped being such an insecure bitch. Um, and then he sent a second message that said, also put a gun in your mouth. Oh God! So and I probably I probably would have ignored the first lot because it's that's just sort of half of the course in a normal day. But it was the put a gun in your mouth that really made me feel pretty sick. What do you think drove him to write that? I mean, what's going on in the head of anyone who would say that? to somebody. I suspect that he, you know, to an extent, like I do understand the argument, well, this is just internet. This is just how kids talk. Okay. That's really disturbing though. We should be very concerned about the fact that anyone, let alone teenagers, feel like it's appropriate to go and say to someone, you should put a gun in your mouth because those words have become so meaningless to them. And they feel like they are potentially a part of a pack Online. I mean, I think that one of the problems with, um, particularly with men and young men in particular who say these things to women online, is that they, they're often rallying behind central figures that they've come across online, either in the YouTube space or on Instagram or wherever it might be. And they feel completely emboldened in this sense of, well, we are part of a group of men who are resisting all of the things about the world that are trying to take our rights away. Feminism, leftism, veganism, for some weird reason. And it's very alluring and intoxicating to be part of the pack and to feel like you are on the right side of what those ideas are. So that was Clementine Ford, who is a feminist writer and commentator and I think what got people talking about this story um, the most was the fact that the person who sent this message to Clementine uh, was a teenage boy. So he was in um, year nine, would have been around 13 or 14. And Clem then posted a photo of him and some details of the school that he went to and the swim club that he was a part of. And the question was around whether or not you should do that to someone harassing you online if that person is a child. Yeah, and that child's mum asked Clementine to take it down and she ultimately did. And, and her point is that women who've been the victims of abuse by men 
shouldn't have to weigh up the consequences of what happens to them when they, they out them. But I think when it comes to a, a, a teenager whose information is being put on the internet that stays there for a long time and stays with him for a stupid decision he made at, at 14, people think a bit differently. The next episode you told us you loved, and I'm not surprised that this one made it into this list, um, because we've all got that one relative or friend or colleague or, you know, cousin on your dad's side that you don't really talk to, uh, who posts some pretty out there stuff about coronavirus. So on this ep, we asked what I think personally is the question of our times. Mm. Do you call out your friends or family if they are posting misinformation online? Now, you're about to hear from um, Sabrina, who's got a very... Uh, unique way of dealing with this kind of stuff. They need to have someone to educate them sometimes. Like if, you know, we're not born racist. This is learned behaviour. And if if I can change somebody's views, because I've certainly learned from people's posts and change my views on certain things, I think it's beneficial to try to educate people. You know, when they when I see them posting stuff that is definitely false, I will call them out and I just usually will say that's not true. Why do you take this upon yourself to correct all this misinformation and and how much sort of research do you do to make sure that you are right? I, I know it can come across as, you know, wanting to be right versus, and, I, and I've been proven wrong many times and I'm the first person to put my hand up and say, oh, like I've made a mistake. But, you know, I made a point a long time ago that I'd always stand up for people if I could, or guide people in the right way, if I could. And I feel like with COVID, a lot of the false information, the racist information, I had to stand up. I, I felt like if I hadn't, I'd just be silent in the background, not doing oh. anything. Claire, we've just heard Sabrina's way of dealing with misinformation on social media. She really, really goes there. She really engages in the information wars. What do you make of that strategy? Look, it's an interesting one, but I don't think it can be applied across the board. Uh, If someone's a really staunch crazy, um, then calling them out is a powerful way of, I guess, de-amplifying their message. But the big thing about conspiracy theories is that they thrive on people feeling like they're the victim or that there's a big cover-up, right? So it's not always the best to come with counter-information because someone might have the genuine held belief that, oh, that information's coming from the same source that built this conspiracy theory. So some people just can't be reasoned with and some people can't be argued with. I think in those cases, the best thing to do is maybe just shut your laptop and walk away if it's going to send you crazy. (laughs) Yeah. Um, but also, don't do things like retweeting and saying, this is this is wrong, you know, or this person's crazy, because that original tweet then gets an extra retweet, which to someone seeing that page says, oh, 10,000 retweets, all, all of those could be angry retweets, but it sounds like an amplification. So if you really want to quote someone, maybe try a screenshot as a quote tweet rather than directly retweeting. And that's a, a little tip I try ah, to nice tell one. people when they're <laughs> engaging on Twitter. That's a good hack. Yeah, so that was Claire Riley, a, a tech writer working in America that we spoke to on that episode. A really interesting one, something we all have to sort of ask yeah. ourselves, do you engage with something you disagree with online? You're sceptical about changing people's minds. Like, you generally think that people's minds can't be changed or don't want to be changed or it's not the forum for it? I think... Sometimes they can be changed. Mm. Often they're not. Mm. So that can go either way. I often just don't think it's it's worth it. So you maybe get into this this scrappy debate 
that sort of actually just inflames division. Yeah. Okay. Well, here are some hacks. This came out of a study done by Cornell University in the US um, in 2016. There are certain attributes to a persuasive argument online. Now, they looked at Reddit, but I think you can expand it outwards as well. If you do want to try and change someone's mind, it might not always work. Do things like engage with their argument first, be among the first to respond, stay there. So do a little bit of backing and forthing. Use words that are different to the original poster's words. Don't quote them. That doesn't go down very well. Take it broader, maybe. Take it broader. Mm. Um, have specific examples and links to evidence which come from reports. That that works. And no all caps. No all caps and no <laughs> emojis, incidentally. Take your emojis out of your argument and use uh, do a thing called hedging where you sort of hedge your bets using words and language like it might be the case that rather than it okay. is the so, case. So complicated to, to get it right, to change someone's mind. My thinking is we're better off putting energy into broader strategies like education systems and what we teach in school. So that way you affect billions of people rather than changing one person's mind at a time. Same with the way that we change our tech platforms to manage this kind of stuff as well. That's something that applies to a much broader range of people rather than having these one-on-one skirmishes. But then what am I going to do at 1am in the morning on a Wednesday, Tom? Sleep. (laughs) All right, now to our fourth most downloaded episode so far. It involves some some real talk about mental health. A lot of people that are going through this have never really experienced anything stressful like this before. What do we know about that sort of long-term impact of people that grow up during, whether it be a war or in this case, a pandemic? How long does it take to go through? Well, it's really interesting, Annika, about wars and a lot of war analogies used, you know, the war on the virus as if we can sort of line up and sort of, you know, send tanks or aircraft against it or something which we can't. (laughs) Actually, during wars, although they're the most terrible thing, societies pull together and things like suicide rates, in fact, go down, not up. So for those who are acting collectively and in a common interest, and this is very important in the Australian situation at the moment, whether we can act commonly together without being told what to do, we can actually decide what to do and collectively take an action to support each other. Actually, Economic downturns do the opposite. They particularly affect the young, so those who are casual workers, didn't develop skills, didn't complete education, had a prolonged period of unemployment. So you see the effects often for five or 10 years after a period of two or three years of actually economic downturn, but on particular groups. And I think the issue of concern at the moment, if you look at the surveys that have come out in Australia, but also internationally, it's actually the young who are doing a good deal of the worrying at the moment. They're the ones without the assets. They're the ones who've lost casual work. They're the ones whose education has been interrupted and their future is much, much more uncertain. So there's a particularly needs to be at this moment a focus on the mental health and welfare of young people. So how do you sort of decide, you know, in a time like this, whether you you reach out for help and, and I guess, you know, potentially sit down with a counsellor or psychologist versus that sort of impending need to kind of sort your stuff out in a more practical sense? Well, Thomas, a great question because actually reaching out, and in these days where mental health awareness is much higher in our community, if you are struggling, if you find yourself ruminating, you find yourself wiring a great deal, actually talking about it with other people and including professional people is very helpful. But, you know, historically in mental health, we have a saying, you don't get well to go to work, you go to work to get well. You know, we need the routine of work. We need the kind of practice of work. I'd say the two go together, in fact. Mm. You know, for all of us, purposeful activity 
leads to motivation. It's a kind of funny thing. We think you've got to have motivation first, then we'll go do something useful. Actually, the doing something actually often increases people's motivation. So that was the calming voice of Professor Ian Hickey. And the thing that he said about work, I mean, I relate to that so much because I love routine Mm. and I found that my routines have been all over the place these last few months and that has just had this sort of like a dull roar of anxiety. It's not acute, but it's... Hard to focus. Have you found that? Definitely hard to focus. And, you know, I wonder if we sort of rethink the way we look at mental health and talking to professionals about it. Because even if you might not feel like, you know, you're depressed or you have anxiety or it might just be an idea to talk to someone just as a preventative strategy and a way of working through these things. Bit of a checkup. Yeah, I think so. The other thing that stands out to me about that, um, we recorded that sort of in the height of the lockdown, but as he was already pointing out there, Ian Hickey, it was the economic stuff that was really going to hit people hard. And that's kind of where we're at now, Mm. that we did really well with the pandemic and we are more or less getting back to normal if you still have a job and if you are not under extreme financial pressure. But if you are, that's really hectic and that's what's really going to hit you. Yeah. And we're going to see the results and consequences of that for many, many years to come. All right. To our last, we've worked through five of our most downloaded episodes. We started talking about the pandemic at the start of this podcast. And then by last week, it was all about the race riots. So let's look into that. Um, We had a a really interesting conversation last week with Reverend Dr. Julianne Robinson from Washington, D.C. To be honest with you, the intensity of the protests don't really match the level of rage that really exists across the country. There are so many black people who have been killed by the police, many that we don't know about. There was one case, uh, Corinne Gaines, where police broke in and shot her dead while she was holding her baby. There's a case of Corinne Gaines. There's a case of Trayvon Martin. This is genocide. Let's call it what it is. And so the atrocity and its redemption exist in the same space. And what we're looking for is a kind of justice that surpasses lip service. We're looking for a kind of justice that reformulates the way we interact with each other in the court system, in uh, criminal justice. Things have to change. And so I don't like looting, violence, theft. I think it's horrible. At the same time, Our voices have not been heard regarding the atrocities committed against defenseless people. And so we're looking for a response that alleviates the concern that we will continue to suffer as we've been suffering in the past. If you put a dog in a cage and you poke it with a sharp stick and you keep poking it year after year after year, You've got a pretty mean dog. And if he happens to ever get out of that cage, he's going to bite you. So I don't apologize. I'm no apologist for what we're experiencing right now because it doesn't appear in a vacuum. People should have expected this to have happened a very long time ago. Yeah, that was so powerful from the Reverend there in Washington, D.C. And saying the point there that things need to to change. Um, I just hope that it will out of all of this. I, I, I do wonder, you've got Donald Trump sort of 
dividing opinion and, and speaking to a very different part of the American population. Yeah, I think this this story has resonated with so many people all around the world, including here in Australia, because, of course, we've got our own unique issues with um, the incarceration of Indigenous people in this country as well. Um, and, if, and this story is still ongoing, so it really kind of depends on what the president does, what the state of Minnesota does, and how it'll all play out in the next few days and weeks. There's so many issues here, but, but two of them are is the, the police treatment, and, you know, there are a lot of questions about how police can do things better, but then there's the broader context and the, the many kinds of disparities between black and white Americans, particularly wealth. And I think that's what drives a lot of these problems. I found some research from the Brookings Institute that the average wealth of a a white American is 10 times more than a black American. So with that underlying disparity, a lot of this tension won't go away. Absolutely. That's it for our five most downloaded episodes. For the last seven weeks. Pretty heavy stuff, a lot of it. Yeah. I mean, look, I think we do light and shade okay on this podcast. Thanks to you. You bring the lols. You bring the lols. Thanks for listening. We're so greatly appreciative. And make sure that you keep listening because we'll be back tomorrow. Of course we will. Same format, same time. Podcast is there for you at 6am. The big stories of the day. Basically, you don't need to consume any other news except this. No, this is the best (laughs) podcast in Australia, quote unquote. And that quote is from me. (laughs) We'll catch you tomorrow. A podcast one production.